Hi, everyone. Dr. Tim and Hillary for another Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. How are you doing this morning, Hillary? I am doing great. And, doing great. Uh, everyone, make sure to tune in next Tuesday, right? We have a yes. big announcement. We have a guest on the show and uh, going to take a little left turn. I think you guys will uh, find it interesting. Yes, I'm super excited about this. I think this is going to be good. I don't, You can't listen to this live, but I will make sure that it's edited and up, hopefully by Tuesday night, so that you guys can be a part of it as close to live as possible. Okay. I'll be alive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hopefully so. Hopefully so. All right. So what are we talking about this morning? Questions. We are doing a question and answer session. Boy. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Question number one. I'm using the ammonia and Dr. Tim's one and only method to cycle. I brought up the ammonia to two parts per million and added the one and only. I am on day three and there is no drop in the ammonia and no nitrites present. Temperature is 78. pH is eight. It's a 75 gallon salt water tank. Just wondering why there's no drop in the ammonia and no nitrites. Should I still be adding the day three ammonia. Okay. So uh, last question. First, no, don't add day three ammonia. The, the guide is a guide, not a rule. And since the ammonia is already high, uh, don't add any more. But what concerns me is when someone writes, they brought up the ammonia to two, because the literal way of thinking is that you kept on adding ammonia until you got it your test kits to measure two. I mean, that's how I take that. And that is definitely not what we want you to do. So my first question to this person would be, how much ammonia did you really add? Maximum four drops per gallon. No more. Don't and if your test kit doesn't measure two, don't worry about it. There is ammonia in that uh, in those drops. It's not water. It, it's ammonia. If you've kept on adding ammonia to get to two, chances are the ammonia value is pretty sky high. And that's why it's not dropping. It's because there's too much ammonia in the system and it's going to take the bacteria longer. So the options are weight and uh, just, you know, the bacteria will start working or do a water change and that will speed up the process. The, the way to proceed, it all depends on you, the user. If you're in a hurry, you probably want to do a water change. Um, but if, if you're patient, then it's just going to take several more days for that ammonia to drop because there's so much ammonia in the water. If you are doing a water change, if you've got substrate in there, make sure you're pulling that water from the top portion of the water column, not the substrate. Right, because the bacteria have settled down into the substrate. So if you start siphon cleaning that, you're going to remove all the bacteria. You're going to have yourself more problems than you already do. Right. And uh, the moral is four drops maximum. No matter what your test kit says, there's ammonia in those drops. Um, if you want to test... Take a, a black surface, you know, dark surface, put a couple of drops on that surface and come back in 10 or 15 minutes and you're going to see a white film there because the 
ammonia water will evaporate much faster than um, regular water. So, and and you'll see that film and that crystal. That's the ammonium chloride. So, oh, that's pretty cool. Let's move on to question number two. I can already like I can almost hear your response to this one. Number two. I have a new tank dry cycled with live rock and some Microbacter 7. And now it's been three to four weeks and I'm seeing what I think are some patches of dinos and some faint white slime on the rocks. Would you recommend just a few doses of refresh or refresh and one and only or something else to recolonize the biome of the tank or just ride it out and raise the nitrate and feed more? I recommend your products and just tried MB7 on this tank. Please don't hate me. Oh, we don't hate anybody that strays from the way. Why would they raise nitrate? Because they had white film, not dinos, right? Uh, it says that they have. They think there's a few patches of dinos and the white, the, the white but, slime. But they don't give any values for nitrate or phosphate. Uh, no. I'm trying to think. Do, do they use live sand? Yes. All right. So dry cycled with live sand. What does a dry cycle mean? Um, I, I assume that refers to the rock itself, but maybe I'm, I could be wrong. No, I, I, yeah, I, I don't really know what dry cycle because dry would be without water and well, you can't cycle an aquarium without water. So I'm no. not sure. I assume it's like the, like the dry live rock. Maybe? Yeah. So I, maybe, or, or is it, or is it just dry rock that's never been live? It's just like yeah. virgin rock, maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. But anyways, for this tank. The uh, combination of the mycobacter, which is a bunch of heterotrophic bacteria, plus the live sand have basically stimulated the growth of a bacterial slime. That's the, the white stringy stuff that's coming up. And so in this case, and, and the tank seems to be established, I would get in there and probably siphon clean some of that um, substrate or... Or add some of our waste away. Maybe the first thing would be to see if you can combat this with waste away, or, which seems counterintuitive, but it's kind of like doing a backfire. You know, if you have uh, saw how they fight fires, is uh, uh, you light an area on fire that you can control so that the fire coming towards you, towards that area, runs out of fuel. Same with this. You add the waste away to try to get rid of all the organics that are in the system. If you can try to scrub and remove as much of that white slime and then, you know, go from there. I don't think there's any reason to add one and only. It's it's more trying to get the organics under control. And it, this may take a little bit of time depending on how much organic material was in the live sand. That's the way to proceed. Okay. Moving on to question number three. I'm using Dr. Tim's one and only and ammonia to cycle my tank. I'm on day 15 of the cycle. Everything seemed to go normally except my nitrite, which is at two and doesn't seem to be coming down. I added ammonia and it took six days to come down. I added ammonia the second time, it took two days. I added ammonia the third time and it came down the next day. Nitrites slowly came down to 2.5 on the seventh day and are still at 2.5 on day 15. My nitrates came down slowly from 90 on the 10th day to 20 on the 15th day. I did not think the nitrates would drop until I did a water change. I did, however, add a little java moss on day nine. My question is, is that normal for the nitrates to come down without doing a water change? And should I just be patient and wait for the nitrites to come down? Thank you for your help. 
So definitely be patient. But why did that nitrate drop from 90 to 20? You should have this as an interactive test. And that's because, if you remember, the tank had high nitrite, and the nitrate test measures both nitrite and nitrate. Further, when your nitrite is high, it interferes with the nitrate test. So that 90 reading was a false high reading. The, the high nitrite was interfering with the test, giving the false value of 90. Now that the nitrite has dropped, the nitrate value dropped from 90 down to 20 because it's more of a correct reading. So I think I've said this several, I know I've said it several times. When you're cycling, if you have high nitrite, don't waste your nitrate reagents. Don't even bother with it. You're just not going to get an accurate reading. If you're looking to see how the cycling's progressing, a better way to do it is take and dilute your aquarium water and do your nitrite reading so that you you can get a, a, a better idea. Is it going up or is it going down? The per, they don't say what test kit. I mean, it depends on the test kit. Some of the test kits top out at, you know, at one or two. And if you have anything above that, you don't know. You really don't know if it's coming down, if it's going up, what's going on. The only way you can do is by diluting the uh, sample and getting a better handle on exactly how much nitrite is in there. Um, do you need to do that? No. This is just for those people that are really you know inquisitive about is the nitrite going up or going down. But for nitrate, don't even bother. It, the, you're not going to get an accurate reading. So that's why it dropped. And yeah, patience, patience is the key to everything. I mean, if you're in a hurry, you can do a water change. Don't disturb the substrate. Don't change the filter pads or anything. Uh, get that nitrite down and uh, the tank will cycle a little bit faster if, rather than just, just waiting. But there's no harm in waiting. It, you're just going to have to be patient. Is it possible that the Java Moss had any effect or impact on it? No. The reason being Java Moss prefers ammonia, which is already being done. It's not going to take that much out of there. Okay. Let's move on. Question number four. I messed up. I accidentally added freshwater one and only to my reef tank. I did it to an existing reef. I had to change out all of my rocks due to a hydroid breakout as well as dinos. So I replaced all of my rocks with new dry rock and then added the one and only. I do have undisturbed live rock in the sump along with ceramic bioballs. What should I do? Well, first off, uh, don't panic. Don't really have to do anything. There is no you know, downside to adding freshwater our freshwater products into the saltwater system or our saltwater products into the fresh a freshwater system. Not, nothing's going to die. Nothing's going to go crazy. No, nothing's in danger. So you really don't have to panic. Our, for our bacterial products, they the fresh water will do okay. They won't do great uh, in salt water. So again, if you have some patience, you can just let it ride and adding our fresh water bacteria to the a salt water tank 
is a whole lot better than doing nothing. It's not going to be as fast as adding the salt water version, or or you can add some more, or you know, some salt a salt water bacteria. But don't change water. You know, don't have that expense, especially if it's a salt water system of throwing all your salt water out. Don't panic; it's not going to kill anything or establish the wrong system. Uh, it's not that major of a mistake. It's going to cost you a little bit of time. That's all. And would you say that it? Act, I mean, because it sounds like this person already has a tank up and running that they just replaced their rockwork. Would you say that like there should be some of that beneficial bacteria already in there? I mean, I assume if it's a reef tank, they have like corals and something else in there right there should be hard surfaces right it's substrate even the back of this a tank because most people you know scrub the front to key so they can see their organism so yeah it shouldn't really be a problem at all and and you you're right you don't uh you already have a lot of uh, or probably have enough bacteria so there's you know, no reason to uh, do anything drastic. I like when the answer is simple and easy and it's not really a big deal. Let's see. Yeah, people, you know, it, it, it kind of an allegory to that is, you know, people, you know, I, I added the saltwater version to my reef tank and they sometimes I see they're panicking. It's all saltwater, folks. It's all marine. It, you know, we, why do we have reef? Why do we have saltwater? There's absolutely no difference between them. It's perception, marketing. There are some stores that will only carry a reef-labeled product. There are some people that will only buy something that's labeled for reef. But there's no difference between a saltwater tank uh, and, a, and a reef tank in terms of the water for the animals. Sure, for the reef tank, you need higher calcium and magnesium and, and maybe some trace elements and things like that. But a, a marine a saltwater product isn't going to kill your reef tank. Don't panic. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Question number five, what is the best way to get rid of slime in my sump? I think it affects my zoas. I bought some refresh and waste away. What is the best way to use these for my 10 gallon tank? Or is there a better way to tackle this particular problem? Thanks for any help you can provide. So it's a 10 gallon tank and there's slime in it. 20 gallon, but yeah. I thought it was 10. It's 20. Doesn't matter. Small. 20. Small. And we don't know if there's a skimmer or not. I don't have that information. Usually when there's slime, there's lots of organics, lots of sludge, lots lots of waste. That's what's causing the slime. The way I would tackle this is manually, you know, siphon clean, remove as much of that slime. If there's a lot of rock work, you know, uh, get, get behind that and just look for all areas and dead spots where organic material can accumulate and get all that out of there. Uh, that's the first that's the first thing to do. And then and realize if this tank has been set up for a while and there's a lot of organic material, you could start getting a bacterial bloom because you're stirring up everything. Once you do that, I would add some aeration and then start the waste away, which will knock back the slime that you weren't able to to manually remove couple of uh, doses of waste away, you know, each dose a day or two apart. And then as we always say, start slow, a half a dose, a quarter dose, a small amount of waste away just to see what happens because you can always add more and then slowly increase the amount of waste away over time. But to really make this work well, you need some way of removing the bacteria that are going to grow, which would be normally a skimmer or you can use a filter sock or a roller sock, something like that, where you can trap and remove 
the bacteria. So we're trying to remove as much slime as we can physically and then get the bacteria in there to basically degrade that slime, turning it into more bacteria. Now you re- need to remove those bacteria to get the system in balance. And then finally, once everything's cleaned up, uh, start using the waste away time release gels. Okay. Let's see. Question number six. When doing a weekly water change and adding first defense, do I dose for the entire tank volume or do I dose for the amount of new water added? You can do either one. I I would dose for the entire tank volume. It's got vitamins in there that can help the, the organisms, fish and corals that are in there. So why not give them a little bit of shot? But it depends if, I mean, if obviously if you're adding the waste or the first defense right to the makeup water, then just treat for the makeup water. There's kind of no wrong answer here. Whatever works for you. Makes sense. Question number seven. Can you all do a segment on mulm? I think I'm pronouncing that right. Some people say it should be removed. Others say it's a great fertilizer. Could you talk a little bit on it and then maybe do a podcast? Uh, sure. It depends on how you define mulm. Some people will say mulm is what is left over after everything's broken down. So it's not good fertilizer because it can't be broken down any, any further. Other people will say mulm is just a catch-all word that, in, that includes you know, decaying plants, uneaten food, it's, and all the, all the organics that are going to be broken down. Yeah, we, we can do a section on that, and, and I'm not sure. It, it would be interesting to know what people think mulm really means. Am I correct in thinking that this is a freshwater term? Yeah, to a certain extent, it is a freshwater term. I mean, I mean the same process happens. You know, I, I guess in saltwater, people call it detritus. It's the same thing. You when I was like, making these questions, I was like, what on earth is that? I had to look that one up. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I get that. I call that detritus. Yeah. So it's mom detritus. We we can have a, a discussion or a debate. I think you should remove it before it breaks down. Okay, why? Because what is the, the detritus, the mom going to break down into? Well, the bacteria and detritivores and other decomposers are breaking that organic material into ammonia and CO2. And do you need more ammonia? That ammonia is going to become nitrate. While they're doing this, they're consuming oxygen. Why do you need that? Um, What's the long-term benefit of having them break this organic material down? Not sure I can come up to be fair. You know, uh, what would be the long-term benefit of having a bunch of organics being broken down in your tank? Part of it might be you're releasing micronutrients, but you're also releasing phosphate. You know, if you're if your tank is phosphate starved, if your tank is nitrate starved, uh, so that you're battling dinos or your corals are poor, you know, poorly colored, having some organics in there and it letting the bacteria break that down be, could could be a good thing. But I think for most people, getting rid of that mulm is uh, or the detritus is, is the way to go. I don't see any purpose for it. If you're doing a plant tank, that's different. Or or if you're you know doing sh- you know caring for shrimp because what are shrimp doing? Shrimp are eating all the microorganisms and detritivores that are breaking down the mold. So you need a certain amount of organic material for 
these organisms to grow and be food for the shrimp. If you're trying to do more of a natural, of course, you can add, you know, pelletized foods and different types of foods. But that's what shrimp are picking at is they're not eating the organic material. They're eating the organisms that are breaking down those the, the organic material. Make sense? If you are listening to this, if you're the person that sent this in, if you still want us to go into more depth and do a full-on podcast episode, leave a comment, let us know. We'll see if we can't uh, make that work. And then hopefully, I feel like that would be a good one to have some photos with. Question number eight, can you do a podcast on sulfur nitrate reactors? So what this is, is it's another way of denitrifying. And definitely, we can do a podcast on the different ways to reduce or get rid of nitrate in uh, aquarium water. So we'll put that on there, Hillary. Right, got that on my list. We are on question number nine. Hi, Dr. Tim. I have 0.5 ammonia in my fish tank. Can I add one and only to my fish tank with the fish in it? Yes, you can definitely add one and only to your fish tank with fish in it. It is completely non-toxic, won't harm anything. So, yep, you're good. Okay, that was easy. <laughs> yep. Yes. No no need to pontificate more, right? No. Ooh, I like this next question. Hey doc, I want to run hypo at 0.009 to 0.01 in my fish only display. I used the one and only to cycle. Will the nitrifying bacteria take a hit at these hypo levels or will I be okay? Thanks. What salinity? 0.009 to 0.010. Does that make any sense? I, I assume there might be supposed, supposed to be like a one, like 1.009. Yeah, so they're running low salinity because 1.024 is, is normal. So they're yeah. running 1.01. Yeah. Super low. Super, well, half, half salt water. So what's the rest of the question? Just is that okay? Will the nitrifying bacteria take a hit at these levels? The freshwater bacteria will not do well. The saltwater bacteria will do fine. The saltwater bacteria have a wide uh, salinity tolerance where the freshwater bacteria don't. And actually, there was a recent paper confirming this. It was a, it was a nice study, it, it, but you know, I did this years and years and years ago. But uh, so you want to use the saltwater bacteria. Will they take a hit? Nope. Actually, they'll they'll work better. The lower, and that's one of the tricks or tips that we give people when you're first starting up with your reef tank and on fishless cycling is lower the salinity because it's less taxing to the nitrifying bacteria, especially the nitrite oxidizing organisms. They don't have to spend so much cellular energy maintaining the cell turgor, you know, the shape of the cell. They can put more energy into dividing. So the nitrifiers will be fine. Just make sure you start with the saltwater bacteria. I imagine this question could be almost for a brackish tank. Right. Okay. Question number 11. Hi, all. I have dino. Will the gels help? Will the gels affect my nitrates and phosphates? I don't want them to bottom out. Great show as always. The gels will, will consume nitrates and phosphates. But if you have dino, you probably don't have very high nitrate and phosphate to begin with. But by themselves, the gels are not going to be enough for a bad case of dinoflagellates. You've got to change the water chemistry. You've got to get the nitrates and phosphates up, and you got to get some bacteria in there to 
counteract and fight off the dinos. Dino, fixing a tank with dinos is a long-term proposition. It's not going to happen in a day or a week. It's going to take some time. The best way to start is get control of your phosphates and nitrates. In most cases, not always, this is nature, so there's always exceptions, but in most cases, dinos are a combination of low nitrate, low phosphate, high organic. You say, well, it has high organics. How can, how can that be? Well, that's because the organics are trapped down in the, in the substrate and the dinoflagellates are down there. And then when you turn on the lights, because that's the other thing is dinoflagellates are photosynthetic. So one way to start off combating them is do the dark cycle where you basically black your tank out for at least two days, even three days, your corals will be fine. Um, and that really stresses the dinos. And then you get in there, try to physically remove as many as you can by siphon cleaning, get that organic material out of there, and then be prepared to increase your um, uh, nitrates and phosphates. Phosphates should be at least 0.05. Uh, nitrate should be seven to ten, uh, and and that will turn the the water quality towards favoring bacteria, and that's where you can start adding the waste away gel, because you don't want to add a ton of bacteria all at one time. You want to you know control dose it, and that's what the waste away gels do. But it it takes time. There's no super quick one or two day fix for dinoflagellates unfortunately. The bane of our existence. Yes. Oh man. I feel like we could call this one the Sino and Dino show because question <laughs> number 12, <laughs> in reference to Sinos and Dinos podcast last month, thanks for the awesome podcast. How about treatment with metronidazole? This is because dinos are protozoa. If it's useful, how would you dose? Will it be... it? excuse me, it will be before Dr. Tim's waste away in order to grow good bacteria. Metronidazole will kill nitrifying bacteria. If yes, we would have to redose one and only, and the dose will be this at the same time as waste away. Thank you. I'm pretty anti-adding antibiotics and chemicals and, and treatments like that, not because they're not useful, but you're talking about dosing the whole tank and you just never know the the unattended consequences of that. And I actually truthfully have never used metronidazole. Prefer to change the environment rather and and, and have nate, you know, combat them na um, naturally with bacteria. I don't know if metronidazole affects nitrifying bacteria. Maybe we can look that up, Hillary, and we can have an answer for the next podcast. Yeah, I like that. We'll put that on the, the list. Yeah, but I've, I've never, I have not used antibiotics in my aquariums, my ponds, literally in, in decades. I just, uh, I, I, you, you're basically uh, clearing the, you know, you're just clearing the system out, and I think you affected too much. I'm not sure, you know, most, most issues like, you know, uh, antibiotics are not going to do anything with dinos because as the person said, they're protozoans. So then you get down to these types of things and what else are you killing? And it's almost like you're chasing your tail. So I, I just think it's worth 
It's just not worth the the hassles and the potential. I know people that do it. It's just I don't have any personal experience, so I'm not really qualified to to talk about that. It's it's not a long term fix, in my view. Uh, it's a it's a short term band aid because you still haven't fixed the water quality, and you got to fix the water quality. And if you fix the water quality, you'll overwhelm the dinos. The dinos took over for a reason. Change the reason. And then you don't have to do these things. Yep. Is that does that sound okay? Do you think I'm copying out here? But I don't have any experience. So I don't want to comment on something I have no experience on. It's not fair. So this wasn't part of their question, but now I'm curious because I have used metronidazole for like when some of my fish are sick and stuff. So if somebody's using medications in their tank to treat fish, whether they be treating the whole tank or if they are adding it to the food and feeding it to the fish that way, do they need to do anything after medication to like re-up their bacteria populations? Well, maybe, but and and you you can know that by are you getting an ammonia spike? Are you getting a nitrite spike? Uh, are you all of a sudden growing green algae or something else that you weren't before? So that that's how you can answer that question. Yes, I'm not saying never do these things. It's just I don't have any I know, personal experience with it. Uh, but a lot of people use them. But whether you need to add more bacteria, if if your tank is having issues, you know, high ammonia, high nitrite, lots of organics, cloudy water something like that, then that will that's an indication that you need to to start adding some bacteria to the system. Did that uh, answer that, Hillary? Yeah, let's move on. Question number 14. I live in Canada. Do you ship to Canada? Uh, we do, you know, but uh, unfortunately it's super expensive and there's taxes involved and people get upset that, you know, they got a bill from Tax Canada or Revenue Canada, whoever the tax authority is. But we don't have control of that, you know, we'll charge, uh, we, we don't, we just ship things and, you know, this, in California, you're going to get charged sales tax. So there are taxes. Uh, it can take a long time if it's freezing cold, probably not the best. We're trying to get distributors in Canada, uh, but we have limited resources, but we are working on it. So um, always check back on our website to see, uh, I know on the reptile systems side, uh, we we signed up some distributors in just the past couple of months. So our reptile system products should be more widely available in Canada without the, the shipping hassles. Uh, and we're working on Dr. Tim's. If you send us a message, we'd be happy to give you up-to-date information as that comes about. And we have <laughs> a couple of stores that periodically um, order from us in Canada. And so check the store locator. Okay, last question of the day. I understand Dr. Tim's point about the risks of drip acclimation. I have some questions. What if you use prime or something like that to detoxify the ammonia before drip acclimating? And how should shrimp be acclimated? Well, the prime's not going to really detoxify the ammonia. And unless you use, you know, prime by itself is a weak acid, so it'll drop the pH, which is not what we want. But then if you use the buffered version, you're going to, you know, increase the pH, which is going to make the ammonia toxic and the prime's not really going to help there. So, and, and again, you're just adding more chemicals. Um, and what are we trying, what are we trying to accomplish 
by the drip acclimation. As long as the temperature is close, now by adding prime, you're messing with the pH, which is one of the things we're trying to, you know, people talk about it, they want to get their pH matched with, uh, with acclimation. So I don't see any benefit to that. And I have acclimated a lot of fish and, and fry. And I used to run a hatchery. The hatchery would be located in San Diego. The farm was out in, uh, you know, Mecca, California. Yeah, now it's a long drive, and we were not drip acclimating. You know, it's and these are sensitive, you know, striped bass hybrid fry. So, uh, I just find very little reason, unless the temperature is super. You know, there's a wide temperature difference. Not a big drip acclimation fan. You know, in some cases, if the pH is super super different and there's no ammonia, you know, you, what you're trying to do. So for those who who may have missed it, here here's my contention. Uh, we got time, Hillary, right? Um, oh yeah, you got plenty of time. Okay. So the fish. This is for and and this is maybe one caveat. Are you talking about fish that have been in a bag for like a few hours? You know, driving from San Diego out to you know Southern Indio Palm Springs area versus pe- fish that have been in a bag for forty eight hours because they were shipped in from you know, Thailand or, you know, some island off in Indonesia, there's a big difference. And the differences are twofold. One, the longer the fish are in the bag, the more ammonia they've been excreting into the water. So the ammonia is higher. And also they've been respiring. So chances are the pH is different and and lower. The, the pH in the bag is almost always going to be lower. And so now you open this bag that's got low pH and it's full of ammonia, but the fish are doing fine. Why? Because the low pH means that probably 100% of the ammonia is in the ammonium NH4 form, which is not toxic to the fish. That's why the fish are doing okay. Now you start drip acclimating, aerating the bag and everything, blowing off CO2, adding new water, which is probably in higher pH, what's happening? The pH of the water is increasing, but you haven't diluted any of the ammonia. So now more and more of that ammonia is becoming the NH3, the ammonia form, which is the toxic form. And the the fish are just bathing in it. And the the total ammonia value in these fish shipping bags after a couple of days, I mean, you you can sometimes almost smell it in there, and that that just that smell. And oh yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> especially it's, snails. All snails and cra- hermit crabs are the worst. Yeah, oh yeah. So, so that is much different than you know. I I bought I bought I was at an auction or I was at a fish club or some play, visiting a town and I saw a fish I had to have and they bagged it and I drove a couple hours to my house. That can be completely different, and if you want to drip acclimate, it might it's probably going to be okay because the bag isn't full of ammonia. And what drip acclimation is doing is it's increasing the um, the pH level, which is changing or causing more and more of the total ammonia to become the NH3 form, which is the toxic form. And that is my big you know, negative about drip acclimating. You're making the water conditions worse for the fish. And it would be much better to keep the bag closed, get the temperatures close, and this take the fish and put them right into clean water with low ammonia, 
because because what's happening? Uh, well, we're on the side of the rabbit hole, Hillary. But what's what's <laughs> happening? What's happening is that for the majority of fish, if the ammonia concentration is higher in the bag than in the body of the fish, the ammonia is going inside the fish because ammonia. The fish get rid of ammonia through passive diffusion. It's the NH3 form. It's excreted through the gills. They, they don't pee out ammonia like humans, you know, pee urea. The ammonia comes out of the gills as ammonia gas from the high environment of the fish to the low environment of the water. Reverse that, and the reverse happens. Now the high ammonia water is that ammonia is flowing into the fish. And the fish can't get rid of it. There's a few that can. The goldfish are one. They can actually detoxify that. But for the majority of fish, they're being poisoned by that high ammonia concentration. The best thing to do is get them to fresh water you know, or, or fresh new seawater for saltwater fish that is you know, zero ammonia in the water. And basically they can purge all that ammonia out of their system. And ammonia is a central nervous system. It's a toxin. That's why they flash around and porpoise up and down is because their central nervous system is being poisoned by the whole, by the ammonia. Quickest thing to do, get them in new ammonia free water. And that ammonia will come out of their bodies and, it, you know they can be saved very easily by that. So I, I see you'd be hard pressed to convince me to drip acclimate any fish. How's that? That's fair. That's fair. We and we did a podcast on this too. So right, if you and want I have more tons in-depth. of experience on this. I mean, it's not. <laughs> it's not like I haven't. You know, at Marine Land, we set up eighty six aquariums several times a year at shows, and those fish came from my lab. You know, we, we grew, we raised our own fish and then shipped them from show to show. Even uh, the, you know, we had a big, because we made the lobster tanks and the, we had, we'd fill it with koi and we'd ship big koi and we never drip acclimated anything and we never lost a fish. Wow. That's impressive. Those are some well-traveled fish. We had as many frequent flyer miles as I did. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I think. That the last question that we had, how should shrimp be acclimated? Oh, did you did you answer same, that? Same thing. So. Shrimp, shrimp, shrimp. Get it, get them in the new water. Just get them. In, there's nothing good is happening in that bag. And ammonia, there is ammonia toxicity in shrimp. So get them out. Okay. Well, that's all the questions that I have for today. All right. Well, no, it's it's been good. Stay tuned. Uh, yeah, we've got well, obviously more. We've got lots of ideas. We never run out of questions and ideas and things like that. We appreciate everything. And in a couple of weeks, Reef Apalooza, and then after that, Aquashella. And uh, I figure out how we'll do the uh, aquaponic system. We need to introduce that. We kind of trial ballooned that in the live stream uh, a couple of weeks ago at Global, and we'll have yes. some more information on that. We had a lot of positive feedback on that. Hey, I, I need I need one of those. How do I get one of those? So. We're working on that. We're, we are working on that. By the summertime, yes. you should be able to get one of those. We just want to make it simple and easy for everyone to understand um, of how to use it and have success with it. So uh, we're pretty excited. That's why we, we saw that in Singapore. And now we're going to bring it in. A whole different thing. Sounds good. I think we're going to call it a wrap there, Hillary. Um, this anything else to add? I think that's it. 
Okay. Yeah, keep an eye out for the next podcast or the 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 new podcast about science research. I think that'll be fun. And uh, if you see us at trade shows, come say hi, take a photo, tag us on social media. And I will happily share your photos. Yes. And if you see Dr. Tim, ask him for a joke. <laughs> I think that was a subtle hint that I owe Hillary some jokes. You do owe me jokes, but I feel like you have a whole fan club at the trade shows. I will have people coming up and be like, I heard this great joke from Dr. Tim. And then they'll share another joke. So it's, I enjoy all the laughter. Maybe we should do that. Come up and we can do live streams of uh, Dr. Tim's and joke. Kind of like Jay Leno used to be the man on the street or something. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. All right, everyone. Yes. Thanks for listening. This has been Dr. Tim and Hillary and another session of the Dr. Tim's Aquatic podcast. Good fish keeping.